You are listening to the sermon podcast of Nielsville Presbyterian Church, a Christ-centered church in Germantown, Maryland. To learn more about Nielsville, visit us online at nielsville.org. All this month, we are commemorating the 500th anniversary of the Protestant Reformation. As a body of believers born into an ongoing movement of reformation and renewal, we cannot uh, let this moment pass without marking its significance. So there's going to be a little bit of a history lesson. There's going to be a lot of what God has to say to us from his word. And certainly I pray there'll be help and encouragement and, and even some correction for us of how we're to live the faith out in this new generation. So we're going to go through the great themes of the Reformation of the 16th century that changed Christianity forever, and in my humble opinion, for the better. The Reformers, guided by the conviction that the medieval Roman church had drifted away from the essential, original teachings of Christianity, essentially, uh, they, they wanted to get back to what Christ was teaching and what the early church was teaching, especially in regard to the teachings of salvation. And so this is a work of reorienting Christianity back to its original message of Jesus. Now, the Reformers never said the medieval church didn't believe in Scripture and its authority. Even in the worst of times, Rome never taught that Christ and his work on the cross weren't necessary and essential to salvation. And no pope in all the history, would be caught dead teaching grace wasn't necessary and needed. Very sadly and unfortunately, these are themes that we hear in Protestant churches in America today, and it is a great uh, offense to our Catholic brothers and sisters. No, the Protestant Reformation, a protest of reforming the church, that's where we get the name Protestant Reformation, it boiled down to one little qualifier. The word alone. In Latin, sola. 500 years ago, uh, theologians needed to know Latin, study Latin. Thankfully, I wasn't born 500 years ago because I don't know Latin. Derek, did you say Latin? No, don't get it. But that's what it was. That, that little word made a huge difference. Scripture is not only necessary, it is sufficient alone. Christ is not only necessary, he's enough. And grace is not only necessary, but grace alone in Jesus Christ is what saves us. The reorientation was to help Christians to see more clearly that Christ is the basis of our salvation and that grace, God's unmerited favor, is the motive. Why we can stand and sing amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. The, the medieval church taught grace came to those who did what was within their power to do. And here's why we can't pass up this moment. Here's why this is critically important today to mark the Reformation. Because in many churches, in many radio stations, and many websites, you'll still hear this message. And they'll pass it off as the gospel saying, God helps those who help themselves. That is not in the Bible. The reformers, let alone the medieval Roman church, would do a 
double take if they heard those words because that is not what's taught in the gospel. And yet it's something that far too many Christians a couple years back, a survey, upwards of 86% of self-defined evangelical Protestants when heard the phrase, God helps those who help themselves, agreed with that statement. The Bible teaches grace is God's favor towards sinners. It's an attribute, it's a characteristic of his kindness. So the reformer saw in scripture that the sinner is saved by the grace of God, his unmerited favor alone. No additives or preservatives. God's grace, what does grace mean? Grace is his generosity, his undeserved kindness toward us. If you're taking notes, you could write out the words grace, nice and big, G-R-A-C-E, and put God's riches at Christ's expense. This doctrine means that there's nothing that you do to commend yourself to God, to earn God's grace. You might think, well, I don't know about that. Let's make a deal. 50-50? No. 80% God, but 20%, I'm a good guy, I do a lot of good things. No. Okay, I'll grant you that. How about 99% God, but that 1%, I have to make the choice, right? The choices I make, the good things that I do? No. Salvation from beginning to end, at least according to, to this book and to what Jesus taught, is a sovereign gift of God to the unworthy. As Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, and the Corinthian Christians had all kinds of issues. And one of the big issues was they would boast in how good they were, the good things that they did, that they were better than others. He said this, Who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? 1 Corinthians 4, 7. So our first sola. I skipped the order. Don't worry about that. Grace alone. It stresses that the initiative of God himself is what saves us. Amazing grace. The sweet sound of it. And that's what I'm aiming for this morning, that you'll see why we put amazing in grace and why it is a sweet and wonderful word to us. And one passage of Scripture that that explains it more profoundly and more beautifully than than most others would be Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. So I invite you to open your Bible to the book of Ephesians, chapter 2. It'll be on the screen. I'm not hearing too many pages turn, but I would encourage you to use your pew Bible or to bring your Bible to church. Who has it? Barry, what, what page is that on? 976. We got a winner. Okay. Listen now to God's word. Paul's just, in Ephesians chapter 1, he's just massively blowing out the, the, the windows on, on God's incredible work in saving people and, and sending Christ to, to redeem and restore and make things right. It's just this long run-on sentence. He just goes on and on about amazing God is. And now in chapter 2, he, he pumps the brake just a sense uh, uh, for a moment to help people understand where have you come from, where are you now, and where are you going? You were dead in your trespasses and sins. Verse 1 in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. 
among whom we all once lived in the passions of the flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In this passage, Paul explains how Christians have been reconciled to God. He plainly lays out our condition before we were saved and after we were saved. And he even gets a hint of what it will be like in glory when Christ returns. What was our condition? What was our state before we were saved? He says we were spiritually dead. But now we are alive in Christ. Look at verses 1 to 3, and they'll be on the screen. Verse 1, you were what? Dead in trespasses and sin. He means we were spiritually not alive. We were not innocent before God. Even worse, we were uh, not capable of honoring God. We were running from him. The only way that someone can move towards God is if God draws them. But here we see we were spiritually dead. Corpses don't move unless it's the walking dead. And we weren't, we weren't moving. So in these verses, these first three verses, Paul is diagnosing our spiritual death due to three things. There are three causes if you look at these verses. Number one, due to the ways of the world in which we live. The influence of Satan, the evil one, the, the, the power, the present power at work in this world. And number three, the, sinful niche, the sinfulness of our nature. Look at the second half of verse three. Quote, we were children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Someone will say, well, children are born innocent. It's the choices that they make later in life. And the scripture clearly teaches, as all scripture does, we are born into sin, born under the curse of Adam. This is hardcore. Paul is saying we are dead, disobedient, demonic, and destined for destruction. Look back at your life before you became a Christian. How were the influences of the world, the temptations of, of the evil one, the outworking of your old nature at work in your life, what were those things resulting in? Where were you headed? But this is tough to hear, isn't it? This examination of our inner being is truly alarming and, and even offensive in 2017. Imagine, if you will, for just a moment, a doctor who has three patients with heart disease. And she calls her three patients uh, to her office to share this news with them. Now, I'm going to play the part of the doctor 
and the three patients, okay? So this is my big uh, audition for a show. You ready? We'll begin the scene. I have some news for you. There's good news, but first I need to share the bad news. Each of you is in terrible risk of dying. Because you've been chain-smoking all of your life, because of terrible heart disease, and because of, 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 a, of a problem with the way your heart was formed, a degenerative heart disease from, from your birth, unless we have major surgery, you will be dead in less than a year. First patient. That's outrageous! Who are you to say that I should live a different way or have to have a surgery and critique my lifestyle? You should be ashamed of yourself. See, that's, that's years of training right there. <laughs> Patient number two. How dare you, madam? You're so arrogant. I'm fit as a fiddle. I mean, compare me to my neighbors. I'm in great shape. I can walk all the way down my driveway and pick up the Washington Post and barely make it back uh, to my house. I'm in perfect shape. I can't believe that you would cause me this uncomfortable nature in my, in my spirit. I'm going to go home now. Third patient sits quietly for a moment, says, doctor, this news has come as a shock. I had no idea that chain smoking and, well, maybe I did, <laughs> the choices I made, but even that I was born with this condition, and it's shocking that I need surgery, but thank you for sharing this news for me. So about the surgery, what will be my part in the surgery? How can I help you? Do you want me to hold the scalpel? Oh, just lie there and, and be unconscious. Is that my part? Okay, I can do that. And scene. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It's just like that. That's what Paul was thinking. And most people assume that they are basically good. Don't they? You, you give a person... Uh, the right opportunities and education and set them on the right path and they're going to make the good choices. But good laws, education, opportunities, as invaluable as those are, are powerless to change the human heart condition. A heart that is conditioned and is born with a great desire to go our own way. I mean, you remember that great Fleetwood Mac song. You can go your own way, straight to H-E double hockey sticks. We'll never truly think that it's amazing until we recognize how appalling our natural condition really is without Christ. Next slide. Verse 4. But God. But God. Paul points out astonishing causes of surprise about God's grace. There are at least four key Bible words here that I want you to, to write down and celebrate in this passage that, that speak to God's character revealed through his sending his son. So if you're taking notes or if you have your own Bible, you could circle these, write these down. What are the four, four words we see in these incredible verses of four through seven? Verse four, mercy, being rich in Mercy, that means that God withheld the just punishment that you deserve and I deserve. He, he withheld that. That's his mercy. Second word, love. Verse 4, great love with which he loved us. And then our theme of the day, grace. 
Verse 5, again in 8, God generously gives us what we need yet don't deserve. And kindness, the the attribute of, of, of God on display throughout this whole chapter, God's kindness, that he would make us alive in Christ. Verse 5, that he would raise us up. Verse 6, that he has seated us in the heavenly places, the heavenly realms. We have a a glimpse of the future in store for us, like being seated at the wedding feast. Why all this? Verse 7, so that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Why is he doing it this way? So that we can magnify him and praise him for getting all of the credit. So the patient finally gets that heart surgery and he's lying there in bed and the family come to see him. How's it going? It's going great. I was lying there so still. I should get a little credit for this surgery. Yeah, the surgeon did her part, but I just was lying there so perfectly still. And when she took my heart out, boy, I should definitely get a little credit. No. God gets all of the credit that his incomparable riches of grace might be on display through Jesus Christ. And how do we are to live? Verses 8 and 10. For by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. It's a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one will boast. Paul sounds like a preacher, doesn't he? Like he's repeating himself, isn't he? He's trying to really impress this point, right? That's where I get it. This is because it's here. It's like people don't naturally buy into these things. We naturally think, well, we have a part to play. So Paul and preachers that preach the gospel have to remind people it's God's grace. It's God's grace. It's all his grace. Our salvation, entirely God's generous, costly gift. And we'll learn in the weeks to come that even faith, the faith that we put in God, and in Jesus Christ is a very much a gift from him. We're not saved as a reward for our good deeds, our religious performance, potential, or character. We have nothing to boast about except the cross of Christ, Galatians 6.14. The good works of Christ have saved us for doing good works in gratitude. For we are his workmanship, Paul goes on to write. We are God's handiwork. We are created for a purpose. You know, there's no one like you. In all the universe, God created you a masterpiece, one of a kind. No one shaped, designed, placed in time and space, in the place where you are, the experiences you've had, other than from the mind and imagination and kindness of God to create you and you alone And he says, from the beginning of time, you were created for a purpose. By being saved by grace, you'll be sent out to do these good works that he planned in advance. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. So someone says to you, God helps those who help themselves? Nope. That's not true. Someone says, well, we're all born innocent. It's about the choices you make. Can't find that in the Bible. Someone says, the Lord looks into your future and sees the good ones, the ones that will be worthy 
of his grace? We could just simply say that's ridiculous and, and absurd, except for the fact that it's incredibly dangerous. And a lot of people hold on to this false narrative that's not in the Bible. It's not what Jesus taught. It's not what the church ever taught. It's the exact opposite. We've been recreated, born again, born from above, John 3, by God's Spirit through the work of Christ. That's the gospel that gives us meaning and purpose and vitality and opportunity daily to come and say, Lord, I can't do this without you. I can't walk this walk without you. I need your grace anew today. That's the reason, the motivation that we are saved by grace alone. And the purpose with which we are saved is to live to his glory. And we express ourselves not to earn anything, but just to show our gratitude to God. And he still gives us so much. We get to come to the table this morning to receive his invitation, that foretaste of what that heavenly kingdom realm will be like. And so let's go to prayer right now. Prepare our hearts, and Pastor Derek will come and and lead us as we celebrate God's amazing grace at this table that's come to us through Christ's sacrifice. Lord, we thank you this morning because of where we were, but God, by your work of grace, bringing us to this new place, and that you have created us, and you are reworking in us, O God, with plans and good works and deeds and things that you want us to walk in, for your glory and for our ultimate good. Help us, O God, to understand uh, the desperate nature of the bad news so that we can revel in and celebrate and be grateful for the very good news. And we thank you, O God, for the invitation to this table. Prepare our hearts, O Lord, as we come now to receive again this gift from your hand. Amen.